Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Wednesday, the 8th of March in London. Coming up today... March Madness, five weeks after the Fed slowed the pace of hikes, Powell hints at a re-acceleration. The benefits of breaking the glass ceiling, the $7 trillion potential dividend from closing the gender gap in leadership. Giving business a break, Hunt considers tax incentives to spur UK investment. Go green or go home, Google's brain melts and HR in 280 characters or less. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. I'm James Walcock. Plus, it turns out money does buy you happiness and you'll need to earn half a million dollars a year before you eat your plateau. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. Higher, faster, longer. That's the message from Jerome Powell. Speaking to lawmakers on Capitol Hill, the Federal Reserve Chair was unexpectedly hawkish in his outlook. The latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be, to be higher than previously anticipated. If the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. Powell's comments come after the Fed opted to slow the pace of rate hikes last month with a quarter point increase. Reacting to the news, traders increased bets on a half point hike at the next FOMC meeting. Powell will appear in Congress again later today. Now, billionaire investor Ken Griffin responded to Powell's comments saying that the setup for a US recession is now unfolding. Speaking to Bloomberg, the founder of Citadel and Citadel Securities also had this advice for the head of the Federal Reserve. If I could tell one thing to the chairman, I would, I would tell him to say less. I would just be writing a message. We're going to put the inflation genie back in the bottle. We're going to do what it takes to make that happen. And we're going to raise rates consistently until we see very clear evidence that we put this behind us. Because every time they take the foot off the brake or the market perceives they're taking the foot mm-hmm. off the brake and the job's not done, they make their work even harder. Griffin also told Bloomberg's Felipe Marquez that controlling inflation with rate hikes is like having, quote, surgery with a dull knife. He added that Americans had been stung by traumatic levels of inflation last year. Closing the gender pay gap and increasing the number of women in the labour force could raise global economic activity by as much as $7 trillion, according to research from Moody's Analytics. Their study, published on International Women's Day, highlights how limited and patchy progress has been in elevating women in the workplace over the past decade. Achieving gender equality is the goal at the heart of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals that member states agreed to achieve by 2030. 
Now, President Xi Jinping has unveiled a sweeping overhaul of China's bureaucracy. The plan includes more oversight of China's financial system and restructuring the Ministry of Science and Technology. Bloomberg's chief North Asia correspondent Stephen Engel explains why Beijing is making the changes now. There's lots of rhetoric, lots of blame being targeted at the United States, but this is a new China. They realize there is a bifurcation happening here and they need to be prepared for the next century, if you will, of self-reliance. Stephen Engel reports that the revamp comes as the United States ramps up measures to prevent China from obtaining advanced technology. Here in the UK, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt is considering plans to help capital investment in order to boost economic growth in Britain. Sources tell Bloomberg the Chancellor is considering plans to replace super deductions with extra tax relief on investment spending. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts reports. It was one of Rishi Sunak's flagship policies as Chancellor, but his investment super deductions are set to expire at the end of this month. It's a double blow for business coming on the same day that corporation tax is set to jump from 19 to 25%. Bloomberg has learned that Hunt is reviewing options to replace the business tax relief in his budget next Wednesday. The Chancellor's challenge is to find a way to boost Britain's woeful business investment with little slack in the public finances. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. And just finally to some corporate news this morning. Elon Musk says that Twitter may break even on a cash flow basis in the second quarter of this year and has a shot at even going positive. That story now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Speaking at a Morgan Stanley conference in San Francisco, Musk said the company has been working on making its advertising more relevant. Musk, who bought Twitter last year for $44 billion, emphasized that Twitter's debt burden after the deal is quite high and the cost of servicing the debt is around $1.5 billion annually, about equivalent to its current cash burn rate. Musk said with all the attention Twitter gets, it's, quote, startling how little money it makes. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. And we'll have more on Elon Musk and Twitter in today's paper review. Well, those are our top stories this morning. Caroline, I was a headline caught my eye on the terminal this morning. It turns out that money does buy happiness, at least up to half a million dollars. Did you have to tell me or our listeners that? I don't think so. But no, look, in all seriousness, this is um, a new study, a survey of more than 33,000 people living in the US that's been published. And basically it contradicts a now really famous paper in 2010 by the uh, economist Angus Deaton and, and psychologists and others, where they said that if you get to a certain income level, then your happiness plateaus. It was uh, like 60, 70,000 pounds, something like that. Apparently this has now been debunked. It's not true. Was this just inflation though? It's just like that 60 or 70,000 dollars sort <laughs> of, you know. half a mil. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Ta- ta- time certainly has moved on. Uh, but look, I mean, it's interesting to kind of see this idea. Obviously there, there's the income level at which you know, you're worried about much more basic things sure. than, you know, be able to pay your bills. But certainly the point over that to see where people, money does seem to increase people's Steadily, incrementally, it does apparently yeah. make you feel better, more contented. Anyway, there we are. <laughs> News you can use this <laughs> yeah, morning. <laughs> absolutely right. Um, better using the skills and time of women, though, in OECD countries can raise global economic activity by approximately 7%. That was the bit of news that we brought to you uh, earlier, according to Moody's 
Cambridge Analytics and their latest research on, of course, International Women's Day. Uh, but the stagnant gender pay gap and the lack of women getting into management roles in the past decade does mean that IWD Day feels perhaps a little less enthusiastic than it has done in the past. Joining us now to discuss is Amanda Pullinger, who is the Chief Executive of 100 Women in Finance. Good morning, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us bright and early in the studio. Very bright and early. Lovely to be here. Yeah, good to see you. The gender pay gap, the lack of women in leadership, the damage of the pandemic years to women's careers. I'm interested to understand how your members, and there are many more than 100 of them, how your members are now thinking about their careers. So um, so I'm the CEO of a global association. We are now in 32 locations across five continents. Um, so I do have a kind of global perspective on this. And um, surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, a lot of the issues are the same around the world. Uh, there are some interesting differences, but um, by and large... Um, you know, the same challenges exist uh, that have very often existed. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're really focused on is how do we how do we create progress, right? There's been a lot of talk about the lack of. And certainly if we look at numbers like what percentage of the world's uh, fund managers are women, it's about 10% across yeah. alternatives and long-only mutual. That hasn't changed for 20, 30 years. So we're really focused on saying what can we do to change that? And the first thing that I think we need to do is to focus on those women who are in those roles. Make those women visible. Because if we're going to try to change the demographics of our industry, we have to change the perception of what an expert looks like. And unfortunately, right now, many people perceive the investment role in particular as being a male role. Yes. Let's change that perception so that we can not only change the perception of the general public, but also the next generation of women coming into those roles. So concretely, how, how do we do that? I mean, if the, you know, your organisation's goal is, is 30% of senior investment professionals to be women and 30% of executive committee members to be women by 2040. Is, is, is that not ambitious enough? Should we be looking for something higher than that? <laughs> really interesting. And there's been a lot of debate about should it be 50%. I want to set a goal that's realistic. Um, and the reality is getting from 10% to 30% even in 20 years, takes all sorts of different initiatives, right? It takes bringing in the next generation, inspiring the next generation of Mm. women to look at investing in a positive way. Um, It takes the industry making very concrete uh, decisions. It takes women saying yes to being on your show, for Mm. example, and and being out there. So um, I think think 30% is very doable by 2040. Would Would I like it to be quicker? Yes. But I I think by setting a longer term goal and starting now being deliberate, I do believe it's possible. Last night we had our London Gala and we gave um, awards to firms in the industry who are making progress. And what's exciting is if you're deliberate, if if uh, DEI initiatives are driven from the top, not not given to a DEI department, if those firms are putting in place initiatives, mm. internal and external. We are seeing progress. Aberdeen won the award and they are getting close to that 30% level, both executive committee and um, in terms of their senior investment professionals. But look, on International Women's Day, I think partly why there, there does seem to be concern is that actually, you know, the goal of 30% that's been around for a decade, actually in gestation for like 20 years. So there is 
deep disappointment and scepticism um, around whether these goals are achievable, especially when there are not actual targets. So I kind of want to understand whether you think that there needs to be a more muscular approach. I mean, more than just visibility and persuasion, actual targets. And again, like the Moody's research goes back to you have to have policies of flexible working, of affordable childcare, of paid maternity, paternity leave to drive change. Do you think there need to be more goals? So look, I think there are three things in play. I think there are there there are social norms around the world that are still playing into whether or not uh, highly educated women who have a family should be working at all. I mean, you know, amongst our members, particularly in places like Germany and Switzerland, it is still really tough to be a working mother um, in those societies. You contrast that to somewhere like Nigeria, where 40% of the CEOs in our industry are women and 40% of the chairs of boards are women, where social norms believe it or not, are slightly different. So there's a social norm element of this. There's also the culture within a firm. Um, but what I would say is we can't necessarily, as women, control those things. What we can do, and what, I, what we're doing as an organisation, is helping women find others who are like them, really working together to support each other. Um, I, I, you know, visibility changes people's perception and and when I talk to female fund managers that's my big message is don't think that just by sitting there working hard and performing someone's going to notice you right that's not how you build your business you have to be out there um, but I'm not saying it's a simple solution I'm saying let's try a lot of different things and let's you, you know let's then learn from those initiatives and double down on those that work are you optimistic I am optimistic and I'm optimistic because I've seen the applications that are coming in from firms who are truly moving the needle, who are saying, yes, this is something that's going to come from the top. This is long term. This is not a fad. Uh, we are focused on these issues. And there's some really innovative initiatives coming out, which we hope to publish for the industry so that those firms Many firms are struggling out there. Let's help them with the solutions. And then there isn't an excuse. If we provide you with a bunch of solutions, there's no excuse to say we can't do this. Amanda, lovely to have you uh, in the studio with us on International Women's Day. Really great to hear your views. Visibility, well, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Amanda Pullinger, CEO of 100 Women in Finance, joining us here live on Bloomberg Radio. Up next, go green or go home, Google's brain melt and HR in 20, 280 characters or fewer. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The Paper Review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. James Wilcock is with us for more on those stories. I'm slightly worried if I've just made a grammatical error there. Is it 280 characters or less? 280 characters or fewer? Anyway, uh, let's talk about the, what the papers are leading on this morning. A couple of them leading on the migration bill. Rishi Sunak's press conference uh, promising to tackle migration. Uh, James, let's start with the Times. Uh, they are looking at a warning from the Institute of Directors this morning. I mean, on grammar, Stephen, I always say Stephen is always right is my policy. Um, but no, the idea mm, of <laughs> It is, but um, in this case, Case, the IDF conducted a survey of 860 leading business people and 8 out of 10 supported subsidies to combat climate change and compete with the EU and the US. I mean, we talked about Shell CEO Wealth One on Monday on our programme here saying a similar thing. And it's something Bloomberg have been reporting on for quite some time. This large $369 million, sorry, billion dollar boost uh, is making some energy companies consider moving to the US. It's something Todd Gillespie and Bloomberg has been reporting on. EDP, one of Europe's largest renewable energy companies, is planning to build more wind turbines in America. And the big question is, where does the UK fit into these sort of big amounts of money being spent? Those who speak to business tell me one big fear is that the UK is in stasis right now as it waits for the next election. Um, And we have that scoop overnight we mentioned in the bulletin about business relief. Now, beyond taxes encouraging investment, does the UK government have the capacity to spend? And that is what the IOD are really concerned about this morning. Yeah, OK, I think that's very um, interesting. Yeah, the, the warning from businesses as we do tick down to Budget Day on the 15th of March. James, there's a story in the Dep- in the Independent about Elon Musk firing someone. Why is this new? I mean, I can see why you'd be uh, sceptical, Caroline. We have been covering this story about him taking over Twitter for a very long time now. And he's overseen firings of roughly two-thirds of Twitter Twitter's 7,500 employees since he took over. Wow. And what makes this interesting, as and also emblematic of how he has completely shaken up this company, is Hallie Thorlefson, a senior director whose design firm Uno was bought by Twitter in 2021, tweeted Elon the other day saying, am I fired? Uh, it's been nine days since I've been locked out. HR have not been in touch. Do I still have a job? Musk then publicly discussed his job and also his disability with a third party on Twitter. Now, that is um, potentially a breach of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which mandates that US employers should not publicly be disclosing uh, their employees' disability status. Then add to that that Halley is the former Iceland Person of the Year 2022. Yes. Uh, the reason being is when Twitter bought his design firm uh, because of his disability, he asked for it to be paid in wages. And he is one of Iceland's top 10 taxpayers. He pays 46% of his salary in tax. And you can only imagine what that salary is because the buyout was in salaries. So this is where this gets monetary interesting for Elon Musk. By terminating his contract and confirming it is terminated, 
there is a question of the rest of the salary involved in the buyout that Musk may have to pay. So this is financially a big problem for Musk. It looks potentially ish- difficult from an HR perspective. And it all comes... And it while- also just looks, looks terrible in so many ways, doesn't it? Mm. And it all comes while Twitter is recovering from its second outage in less than a week. Uh, and so it is all adding up to a very difficult picture for the CEO. And I will say it, uh, Musk did apologise on Twitter, which is also a rare one for him, who's known for sort of often doubling down on quite controversial stances. Okay, James, let's turn next to a story from Dow Jones, a deep dive on how Microsoft and ChatGPT beat Google on the AI race. I think briefly, Stephen, this is simple. People are talking about Bing. The fact that people are talking about Bing again says it all. <laughs> uh, and what has happened here is Microsoft have, with ChatGPT, changed the game. Uh, I mean, we have noticed it. We did a Bloomberg interview with Citizen's Ken Griffin just the other day, who is in the process of negotiating enterprise-wide license to use OpenAI's ChatGPT tool. So what Dow Jones have done, have done a deep dive and found out that Google actually had similar kinds of tools in the works as early as two years ago, but they got held up in development. And so it's interesting to look at how potentially this race was one that Google lost rather than Microsoft won. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.